You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we look forward to seeing you there. The 602 Club proudly presents Snyder Cuts, a Zack Snyder directorial podcast. And I am just one of the hosts here, Matthew Rushing, and with me, as he is every single week, the Zod, my Superman, John Mills. Now, the thing is, you mean that as a dig, but I got to say, Zod had some rad facial hair, and his outfit was pretty, pretty cool. Even though Very Michael true. Shannon didn't expect to be wearing a CG suit, I like I kind of blew one of my kids' minds because, uh, you know, uh, they caught part of it with me. And I said, look at that. His suit is CG. And she said, what? I said, he's not wearing that. That's. That's put on him with special effects. And she took a second and she said, wow. I said, you know, yeah, that's a pretty great special effect. It, Yeah. I mean, gosh, it really is. Uh, it still stands up. And I, you know, having watched the 4K a couple of times in the last week, uh, it absolutely does. So, um, but yeah, we're raring to go tonight as we finally reached Man of Steel in our rewatch of all the things Zack Snyder has directed before we get to Justice League Zack Snyder's Justice League, that is. Not that Justice League crap. Um, so <laughs> you could find us wherever you get your podcasts. Please do make sure you're subscribed to the 602 Club, and that way you'll get everything in the feed, including Snyder Cuts. We're on Twitter at the 602 Club. We're on Instagram at the 602 Club TFM. You can also find us online at Trek FM. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash Trek FM. And if you want to talk to fans from all over the world, who are listening to the network, you can join the Babel Conference on Facebook just by searching for the Babel Conference. Uh, so, John, I think we've got a lot to talk about tonight because obviously this is, I would say, a demarcation moment for Snyder. Mm-hmm. And so, for me, the seeing of this movie for the first time was actually a really special event. Um, so I'm just kind of wondering before I share my that story... How did you see this movie? Like, how did that come about? Were you excited about it at all? When you, you, you I mean, mm-hmm. what, what's the back, back story for you when it comes to Man of Steel? Okay. Like so many other people, especially around my age, Superman 1978 is forever, you know, it, it's, it's uh, die cast metal frozen in carbonite. Christopher Reeve was Superman, period. That is not unique or original. I say that because when I started seeing the previews for this, it looked, of course, very different. And I was actually excited by that because I looked at it and I said, oh, this is new. This is this is new. And I had been a fan of Superman Returns. I thought it was it wasn't terrific, but I, I liked it. I really appreciated actually the fact that they reused John Williams's theme, that it was a reboot, basically. And I, you know, but a sequel, a direct sequel to the original. And I, I always liked that. I thought that the, the, the plane sequence where, uh, where Superman, Brandon Ralph saves the plane with Lois on it in the beginning. I, to this day, I think it's one of the 
best action sequences that's been put on film in the 21st century. It's yeah, it still looks. I mean, it's it's an incredible sequence. Great Superman yeah. sequence. It gives me goosebumps every time I see it. Like it's sort of the way I've described my reaction to the Return of the Jedi sail barge fight. It's so beautifully constructed that I get emotional because I like you're seeing real real craft and artistry at work. Okay, so I've talked about all of that. To say that I went to one because Thursday preview showings were just getting to be a thing around this time, right? It used to be midnight showings, and then the people who went to midnight showings started getting older, so they said, "Okay, well, we'll do ten o'clock on Thursdays," and and then it was nine o'clock on Thursdays, and so I think this was around the nine or ten o'clock preview range, at least where I was. So I went with a mutual friend and podcaster of ours, uh, Sean Eastridge, who we both know. Um, and his lovely wife, I don't know if they were married at the time, but his uh, friend Richie went there and a couple of their other friends as well. Richie actually dressed up as Bizarro because nice. he and Sean are <laughs> such crazy Superman fans. And I remember watching it and I remember having my reaction and I remember the reaction of the group. And I remember meeting in the hallway. I remember it's frozen in my head. There was this odd moment where the group didn't quite know how to process it and some of us were leaning toward the more positive aspects some of us were talking about okay that seemed kind of weird we didn't really like that and it just sort of went from there and so in my group it was sort of a uh you know it was a uh an ambivalent reaction overall where everyone was kind of like, I don't know how I feel about that. And then some people fell very much on the I hate it side. Some people fell, fell very much on the it's ambitious, but I didn't like it side. And that's sort of where I was, where I said, okay, it's ambitious and it tried some different stuff, but I didn't like some of the some of the ways it went, some of the ways it was constructed. And that sort of stuck with me through the years. But you said it was really special for you. What was your, your first viewing like? Yeah, um, so at that point, I was living back in Dallas, and I had a big group of friends, and uh, I was kind of like the movie guy. You know, we'd, we'd all go to the movies together. We'd watch a movie at my place, and so I set up a big go-to-the-movies, you know, to see Man of Steel, and I remember, you know, this is the point where you can't, reserve a seat yet you know so you've got to stand in line uh to you know get into the theater uh same thing you know thursday previews are just a thing and so um and that i think the movie was at seven that night i got in line so i was the first person in line and i sat in line for 10 hours oh my goodness so i could make sure that we had the best seats in this imax theater and we had an entire, like, it's one of those big IMAX theaters, right? And we had the entire row, almost, of friends. Wow. Like, And I showed you the picture, too, uh, and I put mm-hmm. it on social media. So uh, we all went and saw the movie together. And it was just so much fun to, to, to have this big group to go see a movie together. And, you know, obviously, you know, everybody, and there are different reactions around, but most of the people, I think, really enjoyed the movie for the most part. But I just remember how much fun it was to have this massive group of people to go see a movie, right? And 
you know, at, at that point, like I'm a mat, I, you know, like Sean is, I, and, but differently, I'm a massive Superman fan. Um, but I'm not, a, and everybody knows who's listened to this show and you've, you've heard our Superman 78 conversation. I'm not a huge fan of Christopher Reeve's Superman movies. Um, and so this was, and I had, you know, we've, we both talked about years ago, uh, John, when we first started the show, uh, here of the 602 Club, um, we talked about, uh, Superman Returns, you know, and it's, it's definitely, uh, it, it was good, but it just couldn't overcome the hump for me of, of being basically tied to a universe and afraid basically to do its own thing. So, you know, this is definitely a Superman movie that does its own thing. Yet, I would say at the same time, as I've rewatched over the years, there are so many things that Snyder does that harken back to those original films. You know, he pays homage to those original films in quite a few scenes here. He just might do them slightly differently or just might be a straight up homage, you know, in some ways. So, um, I, but, okay. I, I, I just, I just want to interject just real quick because I, I think that the 78 Superman did do its own thing because it became the thing. Right. That was, it, it, it set no, the template. Right. So, right. like, I don't think it's particularly no, fair I to say it was... No, I was saying that 78 didn't do its own thing. I'm oh, saying... Okay. I was saying Superman Returns didn't oh, do I'm its sorry. own thing. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. No, that's my okay. My fault. My my bad. Yes. I. You know what? I I will go ahead and say that... Um, first off, I apologize for mishearing what you said, but with Superman Returns, I think that is a fair criticism of it because I have revisited it since, and there are certain things where it is... Um, and I, you know, this is sort of my favorite punching bag to go back to with these sorts of examples. It's sort of like the Force Awakens, where yep. it it almost has its own identity, but then it mm-hmm. it, it it scurries back into the the safety of the recognizable right. stuff. And yes, right. so I, I I agree with you on that. Well, and and so I think that's kind of a a good place for us to to talk about this idea of you know obviously this movie comes from the mind of Nolan. And Snyder, right? And David Goyer's the writer here. And David Goyer had helped reboot Batman with Nolan. And so mm-hmm. their idea to do Superman was to, let's not just do the same but different. Let's actually do something that is different. And so um, I-, I wanted to ask you then, you know, like, as you revisited this time, in light of watching through everything Snyder has done, um, how does it, I mean, did it play any differently for you or, or were still the same things, the same issues? Um, did you see anything different? Was there anything that you uh, had stuck out to you, especially since as well, I know on House Lights, you're also just, you just finished the Batman series. Um, so I'm just kind of wondering how all that has played together now that it's been kind of encompassed in your brain for like the last few months. Uh, you mean you're asking me were there were there any re- lingering issues with this rewatch of Man of Steel that that stuck or because the thing is if that's the question I'm going to do a little bit of jujitsu because I I want to turn this on its head a little bit okay because uh, I think that discussions about Zack Snyder's Superman movies tend to turn into too easily even for people who want to listen to each other. There will be people listening to us. There will be moments where you and I, we people sort of come in and it 
it doesn't flow back and forth as mm-hmm. as easily as it should. It, it this I want to ask you first before we get into sure. that that sort of thing. Okay. Do you think it's as simple as people saying that's not my Superman, that's not how Superman would act as why they're pushing back against it or I'm going to be very bold about this. Do you think that this is simply a movie that was had the unfortunate timing of showing up just as Marvel's template was firing on all was figured out its formula like really solidified its formula because this is a year after Avengers becomes the billion dollar mega success and or do you think that there's something to be said for were people just coming at it with a certain type of personal baggage about preference sure. uh, that that was going into it what like why do you think that this becomes such an acrimonious argument mm-hmm. among movie fans like more so like there are people who don't like Nolan's Batman movies people are still talking about this movie online like right. you could still find people arguing about it on Twitter <laughs> why why do you think it gets that bitter that acrimonious I, I would say that it's three pronged, uh, kind of like Aquaman's trident. Um, <laughs> one is that I think you nailed it in the sense that Marvel's formula is really ensconced at this point because you had gotten to Joss Whedon's Avengers, which people thought was the I Ching of superheroes <laughs> at that point. True. And, Very true. Um, I think there is lingering baggage for people, and I'll, but I, I would say it this way. Batman had found a way to be reinvented many times since Michael Keaton had played Batman. So mm-hmm. by the time you got to uh, the, you know, the Nolan Batman films, people are used to that. In many ways, Batman is like the superhero Bond, you know, where you're used to more than one person playing him and different iterations having their own feel, right? And taking different parts of the character and, and bringing him in different light. Superman, legitimately, at that point, nobody's counting Superman Returns, only yeah. has one iconic on-screen presence, and that's Christopher Reeve. Mm-hmm. And in many people's minds, that's what they think of. And part of that has to do with many of the people that are going to see the films aren't comic book fans, so they don't know Superman from the comic books either. And therefore, there's a huge amount of emotional and, you know, I would say nostalgic baggage that comes into this film. And then three, I don't think that people were necessarily ready to have a more serious Superman. I think people think of Superman as a slightly, because of the Christopher Reeves films, and especially the later versions, which, you know, so many people will grow up on TV, they don't think of Superman as a any type of serious character, right? Um, and therefore, I you put all of those three things together and... That makes this movie, I think, if you're that that's your mindset going in, that does make this film difficult because it's the antithesis of all of those things, you know? 
Yeah, I, I think that last one, I think you really, uh, you can't discount it. Um, primarily because what, what's always fascinating about Reeve's legacy, uh, to me, especially, you know, as somebody who grew up with Reeve is there's a reason that there was not a Superman movie for, you know, decades after Superman four. It was so atrociously bad. It I mean, is so atrociously bad. It's, it's like dumpster fire trash. <laughs> yes. Although, oddly <laughs> enough, the original cut of it sounds like it was a fantastic movie. So go figure. Maybe we need to release the uh, extended cut of Superman 4 because there's actually a lot that was on the cutting room floor where if you read about it, you would say, why did what? at Whole different thing to talk about with that. Don't want to go down that rabbit hole. But what's interesting is I think people also discount the fact that there was the adventures of Lois and Clark. And that was basically a moonlighting sitcom-ish type Mm -hmm. of type of show. And Superman has before Man of Steel always been leaned into as a slightly corny, you know, the straight. He's like Ned Flanders of the superhero universe. Right. And Snyder wants nothing to do with that. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I, I will admit that part of my initial reaction definitely had to do with that. Um, not so much that I think it, it swayed me one way or the other, but it was one of those things where it was a, an additional hurdle on top of any other complaints I might have had about the, the structure of the movie. And that's, that's one of the things I want, I want to ask you about first is in terms of the structure of the movie, do you think it's successful with how much it jumps around in the first reel, as it were? Mm-hmm. Or do you th- like? Do you think it would have benefited from a more linear narrative, or do you think it would have benefited? Like yeah. one of wh- one of the things I entertain is would it have benefited from somehow finding a way to have that Kryptonian stuff more either interspersed or more in that recap section as opposed to having a whole, like it basically has a short film. Sure. Sure. About the end of Krypton at first. Right. That's one of the advantages of, you know, the 1978 Superman is the end of Krypton is, you know, pretty quick. Um, Whereas I loved all of the Krypton stuff they did, but you know, so, but basically anyway, what do you think about the structure? Do you think that the structure was also a big hurdle for people? I mean, it could have been. And I I mean, I know from talking to you, it wasn't your favorite part of the film. Um, Very in, true. In the past. And um, but uh, so here, after having watched this film for so many years, I, I think the structure honestly works. One. This film does not do the thing where. It just gives you what you've already seen before. So we have seen a linear telling of Superman's story before in Mm -hmm. 78. This film, again, is Snyder and Nolan are are working very diligently here to differentiate this film in every way they can. Part of that has to do with the way that they do the structure. I also think that they are trying to tie what's happening on Krypton and the flashbacks in Clark's life very much to the present version of who Clark is as it references his journey as to who he is going to be. Uh, Also, I would say that 
mirrors comics that we have seen too. Uh, you know, Birthright is a big inspiration on this. Um, mm-hmm. As to, you know, Superman traveling the world, doing these kind of things where he's helping people and then disappearing because people might find out who he is. Um, but I was especially struck by this rewatch of how, from the very beginning, this movie sets up who the character of Zod is and why Superman is going to have to kill him from the very beginning. Because Zod has a one tracked mind, as does mm-hmm. the Kryptonian people. What we have here is a society to which has become so stuck on the sandbar of complacency that there is no way for them to move forward. They, they, they are stuck in this whole idea of that you are tied to who you're born to be and there is no deviation from that. And there's no deviation for you as a person either. And this is one of the things that they do with this film is making Clark really special and the fact that they, you know, he's the first natural born uh, uh, in years, you know, and, and, and giving him this whole identity of, of being somebody who has free will basically to choose. And, you know, there's so many thematic elements that go with that. But what I think that the structure does here, especially with Krypton at the beginning, is it gives you that opportunity to see exactly who the character of Zod is. And he's never going to change. There's never going to be a time for Clark to talk him out of anything. Because in the end, Zod wants the easy way out. There's no such thing as him for him as coexistence. He's mm-hmm. programmed to think one way, and he cannot see any other way or conceive of any other way of being on his mission. His mission is to just crush whatever is in his path, and he can't see past that. You know, like, because Clark even offers, you could, you could live, you could coexist. And he's like, what? And suffer as you did for years upon years? Like, Zod just wants the easy way out. And I think what we see here is also a differentiation between who Zod is as, as well as old Krypton, as well as who Clark has become by embracing humanity. Even though it's a struggle for him, he has embraced what it means to be human, which is, to do the best you can with what you've been given and to make the best of it. And, and, and so I really think that the structure helps this movie in incredible ways because by giving us that 20-minute epic on Krypton, not only do we make Krypton a real place so that we kind of understand what the ramifications would be of bringing that world back, but we also have a picture of what could happen to our world if humanity doesn't make a change right like it's a it's also a narrative of this is where we i mean you you know like snyder has woven in there a a mythology of like oh this could happen to us too if we don't make changes well having just revisited i mean what i think i I mean honestly i i have to be honest I, i think is probably nolan the nolan film i will love the most uh for his whole career, probably it is uh, interstellar. What is present here as well is uh, um, Jor-El's lament about that, that Matthew McConaughey's character has in interstellar. We used to go out to the stars. Yep. Why, why are we sitting here obsessed with ourselves and not going out there anymore? Why yep. aren't we making the big discoveries and going out and ensuring 
our growth and why are we sitting here stagnating and eating ourselves alive? I will say that one of the things that I give this movie a lot of credit for is that Zod is a product of his society. He says, I, I was born with one purpose. It was to do every, everything I've killed, everything I've destroyed was for the purpose of Krypton. And so you can see that sort of uh, zealot's mindset in there. But when he and his cadre come out of the Phantom Zone and see Krypton's destruction, there's actually a, a sympathetic mm-hmm. moment there where yep. they're devastated. Absolutely. They, because they legitimately, even though their methods were terrible and even though they were awful people, all of those qualifiers in front of it, they did have a genuine love for, they were motivated by something pure, but they had turned it impure right. the way that Krypton's society had turned its own, you know, it had its caste system and all of that, that sort of thing. Right. I, I still think the structure is something of a hurdle in the beginning. I think that on this rewatch, it, it smooths out pretty pretty much by about 30 or 40 minutes in i just think it's a little too staccato in the beginning okay yeah um and like it's starting i mean i can understand that and i know it's been yeah. a sticking point for you for a long time so the fact that like it's worked its way to being a little bit better but i i, I get that yeah i i do think that one of the things i didn't react to well at first was the decision to make it all look handheld mm-hmm. um Right. But I've I've that's the big that's the big one that I've definitely made it past is especially going through this show. It's like, okay, this is just his style and it actually works really well in certain regards. Like we Mm -hmm. talked about with um, Guardians of Gahul that we could see him discover how he was going to make Superman look when he flew the breaking the sound barrier effect. And so being able to tie those things together, I've always thought that that breaking the sound barrier effect was a brilliant touch because Superman would, that's what it would look like if he did it. Yeah, absolutely. I I think, I think that was interesting. I, I think that the, the side performances are the ones that get overlooked and you'll forgive me for not remembering his, his name, but the scientist the one who ultimately figures out how to turn the key. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's sort of the glue that holds the movie together. He's sort of the eyes of the audience, in a mm-hmm. sense, of the observer who, you know, we, I, I find him easy to plug into. I th- and I think it's a terrific performance. I also think that um, uh, Chris, uh, Christopher Maloney as the... Oh, he's so good in this movie. I I will I will admit I've always enjoyed it, but this time it played even better for me mm-hmm. when Superman walks out from the destroyed uh, Sears. Yes. Which you know, yep. sorry kids, I don't think Sears exists anymore. Yeah, it doesn't. But when he, well, well, Superman I mean, destroyed it. Sorry. Yeah that that was the, that was the linchpin <laughs> right there. They they never bounced back. That was their big warehouse. Um, but when he walks out and uh, and Christopher Maloney says, "This man is not our enemy," like that's a really that's a, yeah. that's a really powerful moment because um, I really like also the very gentle way um, that it's played when Superman replies, thank you. You know, like yeah. 
Yeah. He's saying, he's saying, wow, finally, somebody, somebody sees me as a person. Um, now, uh, to roll it back, one of the things that I had a huge problem with when I saw it, and I think a lot of people still stick with, and I want to get your take on, is Jonathan Kent's death. Did you have to work your way through it? Is it something where you're like, ah, it's not great, but I can live with the way that it is? Is it something you love? What do you think of that scene in specific with the tornado? Okay. Um, I personally have always liked it. And the reason that I liked it was this. And it, it, it ties into something, you know, uh, Zack Snyder had just did a big interview with The Hollywood Reporter about his his work on uh, his Justice League. And obviously they talked a lot about his daughter, Autumn, you know, having committed suicide and how, of course, difficult that was for the family. Of course. Um, and he talked about the idea of, for him, the reason that he actually gravitated towards Kal-El as a character was his being adopted. And I think after seeing that, and, and I, maybe I just always felt this, but I could, I, you could always tell this is a movie about parents who are adopted, who are trying to do their best with a child that they don't necessarily understand. And I think maybe that has even more weight now when you know Zach's history with his own children. Mm-hmm. And that scene is about a father who completely believes his son is here to change the world. And yet he also knows that it must be the right time for himself to be revealed or it's not going to go well. Um, This is a movie that is about the question of what would happen if this person existed in our world today for real Mm -hmm. how would people react you know perry white even says it to lois he's like can you imagine how people would react if this person actually existed and the fear of being an adopted parent who is completely in love with their child and knowing that any moment if that child is revealed to the world they could be taken away from you I can't imagine how you could not put yourself in the shoes of these parents and and just totally understand why Jonathan and Martha react the way that they do. Oh, um, I, I, so, I I get so I get that. All of but that I mean, like, said, yeah. All of that said, I think the scene works because the moment before that happened, it's a fight between Clark and his and his adopted father about purpose. And in that moment, Clark can save his dad. He 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 could do it before almost anybody knew he would go. He was gone, right? And yet, in that moment, he had just told him, "You're not my father." And yet, in this moment, he shows himself to be a true son of of Jonathan Kent by being obedient to the call that his father had put on his life, which is only reveal yourself at the right time 
And I'm willing to die. I'm willing to put my money where my mouth is that that is the case for you. And I'd rather die than you reveal yourself now before it's time. And I think that's a really powerful moment. And it's the thing that makes, it's the thing that makes this so much more human. You know, like nothing is easy in Clark's life. Just because he has powers doesn't mean there aren't, you know, terrible choices he has to make at all times. So to me, that, I don't know. I don't know if that answers the question at all, but. It, you know, it does. I, I understand what you're coming at. I, and the thing is, I made the joke after I watched it this time that maybe what people were reacting to was that uh, a child actually listened to their parent, which, of <laughs> course, you know, I took as my opportunity to look at one of my kids and say, hey, look at that. Somebody listen to dad. Go figure. That's got to be foreign. Um, sorry. Just in case anybody's wondering, um, my kids are getting a little bit older and so. It's a little bit tougher to present your case to the to your kids. With let, let's put it this way, um, the relationship between Jonathan and and uh, and and Clark is a lot more relatable to me now in that moment than it was back in 2013. Now I'm sort of like I'm watching Jonathan having his things. I'm like, oh, I, I feel you, brother. I, I oh wow, yeah, okay. That little punk just said, you know. Anyway, being a comedian aside here, um. I do think people had a lot of problems. I know I had a problem with the whole structure of that scene because of the fact that, like you said, Clark could have saved Clark had saved that busload of kids and they had said to everybody, no, you, you just imagined it. It's, it was the, the tension of the situation. And so there was sort of a built in excuse, but I paid a little closer attention uh, this time. And two things really jump out in that one the reason Clark isn't there with him is Jonathan basically says to him, no, protect your mom. Go over there and you protect her. I, I can take care of myself. Watch over her, which is I can under that would be what my dad would would say to me. Yeah, absolutely. You, you know, I, I'm your your responsibility is to make sure she's safe. Um, And then I will say I. I and the thing is, this is going to sound like I'm trying to be a comedian, just like I was about the kids listening thing. But it, it's the God's honest truth. When I was watching this in 2013, uh, I had had you know cats, but now I have a dog, and uh, I remember in 2013 saying, "Why did he run back for the dog?" That's crazy. That's just, uh, you know, that, that was a dumb reason to go back into that, into danger. And this time I'm watching it in the comfort of my home and I'm, I'm hugging my dog. She's a big dog, but I'm hugging my dog saying to her, I promise I would never leave you behind in the first place. You would have been the, I would have gotten you out of the car before I got other people out of their cars. You know, like, so I can, I can in fact understand Jonathan Kent running back to save the dog now. As crazy as it seemed to me, just uh, you know, what nine years ago now? I guess no, eight years, whatever. Um, I, I get that that moment. Can I just I, say I, I do think that you hit on something really important, which is yeah. this. This um, I would say maybe it harkens back to more classical masculinity, but the idea that a husband is is protecting his wife and he sends his you know, immovable right. son to tech protect her, you know, like right. he, he knows if, if, if Clark is with her, nothing will happen to her. Right. She's, she's the love of his life. Exactly. And yeah. he's, and he's, but, but it's her. all, yeah. 
Well, Which and will also play into BVS actually, so we'll you know might want to keep track of well, that theme. But but it is very much um, you know like like I said, my dad would have been the same way. Like and that's sort that has sort of been the traditional thing where once you've had your kids and they're established and everything like that. I mean, I'm getting to that age now where it's like, okay, well, you know, when it's my time to go, that that's just the way that it is. They're 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 the important ones. They're the, they're the ones I'm you know. Anyway, um, I will say that the scene plays better now than I thought it did then. Um, and I think I've rewatched Man of Steel maybe once or twice in the years intervening. Um, but it did click better this time. And the thing is, while we're sitting here talking about it, I also wanted to get your take on the scene of when Clark has saved the busload of kids. Jonathan Kent you know, he asks him, what was I supposed to do? Let them die? And Jonathan says, I don't know, maybe. And I remember reacting, all of us reacting very badly to that. It was like, oh my gosh, who would say that to a kid? But what's interesting is that it does get to that idea of examining, I think what makes Jonathan Kent so fascinating in this now is when you're a parent your initial impulse a lot of times is I know what I'm talking about. Be quiet. Trust me on this one. And Jonathan Kent shows a really admirable trait throughout this whole movie of being willing to admit when he doesn't know the answer and say, because he says, I don't know, maybe all I know is that you're special and, and, and those sorts of things. So, you know, I, I mean, I guess that's, not really a question, but I, I guess I, I maybe mean, that is what you're saying. Yeah. No, I, I think, you know, and, and you're the parent here and I'm not. And so I'm just kind of coming at this from what the film is giving me. But, you know, the the struggle of Jonathan Kent, he absolutely loves this child as his son. And the last thing he wants, just as any parent would, was something bad to happen to his kid. Yeah. Like, and he knows all of the bad things that could happen to Clark. That, you know, government coming in and taking him and like the fear that that would instill in him and that he's trying not to pass on to his son. And yet you can see in that moment that Jonathan Kent is scared S-less that his he would lose his child. Mm -hmm. And and so when he says, I don't know, maybe, you know, that there's a part of Jonathan that wants to say absolutely not. But there's the other part of him, the father part of him that, you know, as he said in the car right before the tornado, like, you know, you're right, Clark, we're not your parents. And we've been making this up as as good as we can, but maybe our best just isn't good enough anymore. You know, again, like you said, Jonathan is is very good at being honest with Clark. And, you know, I think the most beautiful moment of the whole movie is when, you know, they're they're down in the basement of of the barn and, mm -hmm. and he's like can i just go on being your son and he's like you are my son i you know I will and, yeah and it's just you know i kind of like get emotional thinking about it because it's just what's happening in that moment too for me personally as a as a as a person of faith it's such a picture of what human human fathers feel and yet at the same time He's pointing to the fact that 
Clark basically has a heavenly father who had given him another name and had sent him for for reason. And like, there's all of this stuff playing in there. So to me, that's just, it's one of the most beautifully written and, and played scenes in the entire film. But it also shows, again, I think the absolute love that Jonathan Kent has for this kid. And he knows that Clark is going to do amazing things. At the same time, He's trying to instill in him all of the right values so that Clark will make the right decisions one day, you know, because mm-hmm. he even says good man, good character, or bad character. You're going to change the world, you know, and you just have to decide what kind of man you want to be at that point. And mm-hmm. so he's trying to give him everything he can. But again, he's just a human guy trying to raise an alien kid in an unknown land, you know, like it's it's. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, I, I, it is, I, I will say that Costner is terrific in this film. Um, and I, I, I think that that scene in specific that you're talking about where he embraces him and says, you are my son. Like you feel like he, Costner is an underrated actor. He's had some stinkers along the way, but, this is one of those roles where I I think he should be proud to you know of of what he did here. And, you know, Diane Lane as as Martha Kent is great too. Um, but I want to go to Amy Adams, and what do you think of the fact that they flip it on its head and Lois knows Superman before she ever encounters Clark Kent? I think this was the best choice. One, Amy Adams is Amy Adams. So, I mean, mm-hmm. she's phenomenal in everything that she does. I, I don't think I've seen her in a role where she's not good. Fair. And here, she's the perfect choice because I think what she does is she adds weight to the the role in the sense that, you know, Clark doesn't just fall for her because she's good looking. He falls for her because um she believes in him when not mm-hmm. many other people do. And she's willing to protect his secret until he's ready to tell it. And I think her finding out who he is, you know, it's a it's a hard contrivance of the comic that it takes Lois so long to find out who he is, and she's supposed to be this incredible investigative journalist, you know? Right. So to make her such a pivotal character to the movie... And and not only that, she's able to find out who she is, but she's literally a pivotal character to the film. You know, she she's integral to all of the main plot points happening, and she's integral to Superman being able to save the world, right? So I think it's it's an incredibly written part for Amy Adams to be able to play, but I think what it does is it makes Lois Lane much more modern, in the very best sense, and it makes mm-hmm. her important to the film overall. Like, if you don't have her in this film, it doesn't work, right? And I think that's an incredible thing to be able to say. Um, and she's not ever a damsel in distress, except for that True. last time when she falls out of the, and she needs, but that's because she just saved the world, you know? Like, Well, I, I also wouldn't qualify that as damsel in distress. That's exactly. somebody yeah, falling yeah. out of an airplane yeah, that just exactly. <laughs> ripped open a portal to a, an alternate dimension to destroy the villain. Like, 
that's, you know, <laughs> that's a whole other thing. Um, but since we are there with the falling out of the plane and everything. Can, can, before we get there, yeah. John, can I say one thing? And it harkens back to something. And it's just something I wrote down that I thought was really important. Sure. What I saw this time in this movie, and, and part of it, I think, is is one of the things I've been seeing with Snyder movies um, is that I find them more relevant now than even when they came out. Sure. And one of the themes I kind of saw is how you have Krypton, where it's this basically cultural groupthink against a more creative and individualistic society that would allow for out-of-the-box thinking. Mm-hmm. And that Krypton gets stuck in that kind of groupthink, and there there isn't a way out. Like the only person there who was thinking outside of the box was Jarrell. Yes, and um, he's not enough, unfortunately, for the planet. And so here, you know, again, you're creating this wonderful juxtaposition between these two planets and. Again, you know, Zach is is leading you to to see how we could go down that same path. I thought that was just really strong. Yes, I, I, I agree. I, and the thing is, I was uh, let me step back from where I was going to ask the next question, just to detour. That I think that one of the things that is really fascinating that nobody seems to fixate on in the in the discussions something that i think is really rich and really creative is this sort of um eric eric von daniken chariots of the gods uh sort of thinking they don't ever dwell on the fact that the kryptonians were here twenty thousand years ago right (laughs) and the implications that that has and also the very neat explanation for well why does why do kryptonians look like people and if you sit there and you think real hard about it you can say oh wait a minute wait a minute you know like it's sort of it's sort of like a a really subtle touch to it that i think is really really well done because it it just drops it there and it treats it the way that it would occur in the timeline of there isn't like a whole thing where they do tests and like Clark's DNA is 99% human after like, it's, it's still about letting the audience work a little bit. And that is something that's always worked for me about the film is the fact that it has all of this really interesting implication to it and never dwells on it and really sets up because I think it's still hanging there for something to go back and, and really spend some time with. But then Coming again to something that people have spent a lot of time focused on and harping on about this movie is, uh, and I'll let, let me insert this here that Lawrence Fishburne has always been a terrific actor, but the scene where he's with Jenny and they see that, you know, the, the, the pulse wave is coming for them and she's trapped in the building. Uh, this time I, tried explaining to my kids why that scene in specific, and this is even before, you know, BVS comes around. I said, you know, for a lot of us who lived through the time, this is so evocative of the terror of September 11th. And when the buildings fell, 
that like it's it's kind of traumatic to watch it. Like I I didn't live in New York by any stretch, but I can only imagine somebody who had gone through that seeing this thinking, oh, like it, it's very evocative of it that that moment. And I think it's such a beautifully played scene that when when he does destroy the one in the Indian Ocean and then they realize they're going to live like it's a fantastic moment of like just earned relief. All of that said the ending, the destruction level on the ending, the fact that there aren't a lot of lines of like the fight in Superman two, of Superman saying, no, the people and those sorts of things. Bring it yeah, to me. I, what, where, 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 are, where were you with it? How do you react to it when people come at you about that ending and say mm-hmm. he doesn't even care about everybody that he's killing with his yeah. destruction? Um, I just think it's silly. Um, one, I, I think one of the things that makes this so important is that I love the way the last battle is relentless. Because, again, I think it shows why Clark only has one choice to make in the end. I also think that this relentlessness is important for the fact that, again, he only has one choice to make. It's all playing into that. Like, look at the destruction. Look what happens after just one fight with this person, you know. And part of that, put this way. Most of the destruction we see in Metropolis doesn't come from their fight. In fact, what comes from their fight is pretty much a lot of the times what you've seen in the comics. Okay. Mm -hmm. Or one of the comic, or one of the animated episodes, right? So it's really not all that different. The actual destruction in Metropolis, most of it comes from the gravity machine, which. That's what it was doing. I mean, like, uh, how can mm-hmm. you get mad about that being the case? The rest of, if you really take the rest of the destruction for what it is in the movie, the biggest thing that happens, and we know from BVS, it's Wayne Tower that gets knocked down. Mm-hmm. The rest of it is like them getting thrown through buildings like they do in every other superhero movie. It's really not that bad. So. I think people react to the fact of thinking that, like, that entire fight was basically what caused Metropolis to look like that in the first place, which it wasn't. Most of that damage comes from the gravity machine. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think what annoys me about this as well is that the rest of the damage that comes, when you have two indestructible beings fighting one, when you have gods that fight, this is what it looks like. And I never understood how people could be upset the fact that basically Zack Snyder just brought the comics to life. I've been reading Superman comics for a long time, and Superman's gotten thrown through a lot of buildings, just like he does in this this film. And um, so, and this is literally his first day on the job. Well, let me let me ask you this, because you, you, you do raise the fact that and, and I've I've always said that whatever problems I might have had with it, I agree with you. It's Superman's first day on the job. Like he's he's fighting a milit he's fighting a genocidal maniac who has discovered that he has superpowers. 
that's kind of a big thing. Um, so it's understandable that the fight's a little more unrestrained. And I did pay attention to the buildings. And there's like a parking garage. There's a building under construction. Yes, you know, the tower falls. And you can very easily presume there are people that are killed in it. But Superman does take him out to space, is trying to do his best. It's just he doesn't ever say, I've got to take him away from the city sort of thing. My question for you. Because he's getting his ass kicked you know he is he literally is getting his butt just beat (laughs) but i wanted to i wanted to ask you again we made reference to the avengers becoming the billion dollar baby just a year before this right which i'm sure colored warner brothers expectations for this saying oh wait they they got a billion dollars for the avengers we've got superman we should make a billion dollars too why is it that the destruction of new york city in the Avengers is so, which has a whole team of people working in tandem and everything. Why is that scene is so much cleaner, so much more sterile, a type of destruction than what happens here in man of steel? Do you think it's just the tone of the films? The fact that we have funny moments like Hulk punching Thor or saying puny God when he beats up Loki. I mean, I think that's absolutely it. Um, I think, again, one of the things that Snyder took from, and obviously Nolan was right behind him here and with the, with the film, and, and their take was going to be basically what they had done with Batman and Batman's Dark Knight trilogy, which is we're going to take a much more serious look at this. And, you know, again, one of the things about Man of Steel, there's plenty of funny, goofy little moments here and there. There's There's great lines. There's great looks between characters. There's just little moments. I mean, the fact when... Lois, uh, you know, she goes to the uh, site up up north, you know, and like Clark is picking up her bags in the background, and she's like, "Careful, that's heavy." That's funny, yeah. you know. It's mm-hmm. it's it's a very subtle joke. It's not in your face, you know. It's not it's not Joss Whedon humor. He doesn't have to slap you upside the head with the joke. And so, what I think. There's no room for jokes when you're having a fight like this. This is a fight for survival for Zod and it's a fight for survival for the entire world for Clark right and this is not that there's there's no room for that here um and again I think I what I appreciate so much about the film is that it didn't do that it doesn't descend to that level of 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 trying to make a joke out of something that is actually serious and then We'll get there, but the fact that it follows up the next movie with all of the repercussions of the actions, like, you know, they don't bring up the repercussions of of, uh, New York being destroyed until, like, Civil War. And then it's Mm -hmm. like, okay, you know. And I'd say the destruction in Avengers is is ridiculous. If you're actually having an evading army, like, it'd be much worse (laughs) than it is. But again, that movie has a team of heroes working in tandem. We got one guy, his first day on the job, trying to beat a homicidal maniac who has literally vowed to destroy all of humankind because Clark loves them, right? And so it's... It's it's a completely different tone, and I, I have to appreciate that Zack Snyder never deviates from the tone in his film just to, to placate the audience. And to me, that's that's artistic integrity, and I think that's what we've seen from Zack 
through most of his films is that he has a tone he's going for and he does not deviate from that because he he's intellectually honest with his film and, and what it is and what it isn't. Well, I think that's also something that is uh, sort of a key difference. And I think probably, you know, because mentally people will go back to something like the fight from Superman two in Metropolis. But in that movie, Zod just wants to rule in this movie. Zod is literally, he was going to commit genocide on Krypton and now he's legitimately <laughs> going to wipe out the entire human race because screw them for He just existing. wants to commit genocide somewhere, John. Right. Come on. Yeah. It's in his dream journal. Um, <laughs> Dear dream journal. Yeah, exactly. Just dreaming about genocide again. <laughs> well, I mean, you would have you thought that they would have sent him, you know, it's too bad they weren't exploring space because Zod is the kind of guy where you're like, uh, yeah, go... Um, I don't know. Go to that moon colony where there's a really awful dragon or something. Go figure that one out. Don't be yeah. here on Krypton. <laughs> you send him away. Anyway, uh, I, I do think your defense of it is valid. Um, I think that it played better this time because, again, it's been years since I watched it. Um, and there you're. You're right that he doesn't call attention to it, but there is some care given to when they fly through an office building floor, there's nobody there. It looks like people, I mean, people have obviously been evacuating because the world engine has been working. And then there's, uh, you know, the parking garage, and then there's the building under construction and that sort of thing, and throw out to the satellite and all of that, that kind of stuff. Um, but then at the end, highly controversial that he snaps Zod's neck. I've always maintained it's the only choice he had in that moment. But did you, I just want I want to ask you the impossible question. Do you think there was any way for them to have written themselves out of that corner and found a way for him just to neutralize Zod as opposed to kill him? At this point, Clark has no Kryptonian technology to which he knows is working, so he can't put him in a place where they can create the Kryptonian atmosphere to neutralize his powers. Uh, they don't know anything about. I mean, this again. This is not like the comics or anything. This is this is this is year zero, right? Like this is day zero. So. Clark barely knows enough about his own physiology and himself to, to make any judgments on how to stop Zod. Um, and so there's no star labs to help him put him in it like a, a red sun cell or, you know, there's none of that stuff. And and so all of the things that, you know, comic book geeks were throwing out, it's like, that's not this movie. Literally, mm -hmm. this is this isn't just year zero. This is day zero, you know? Mm -hmm. And so Clark has to make the decision on, on again, this is a movie about the decision between conformity of a group think against this kind of like very creative individualistic society and which one is going to win out. And Clark says to him Krypton had its chance and it made all the wrong choices 
And you were part of that, basically. Um, and he chooses humanity. And this is his first step in the journey to becoming, and, and we, I said this all the way back um, when uh, we, we covered this on the 602 Club years ago, which is this is Clark's road to becoming the icon. This is just the first step. Mm-hmm. And this is his first step towards choosing humanity and this being the planet that he's going to live on. And it's not going to be easy for him, but this is his first step. And I have always defended the decision, and I believe it's the right decision. Um, you have to make those hard decisions. And I think in that moment, it's a it's a it's really well played by Cavill when he lets out that scream because he's literally destroyed the last person that and of his race that he knows of, right? Mm-hmm. Like there will be no others. He's the last of his kind. And he's done it in the defense of the world he's chosen to be his world, which will be a huge theme that plays into obviously BVS. That that, that is this going to is this going to continue to be the world that he chooses, right? Um, even if it doesn't choose him. And so it's it's a great it's a great theme because again, it's exactly what the priest said to him. Sometimes you have to take a leap of faith, and the trust part comes later. In that moment, Clark trusts that he's making the right decision, that it's humanity that deserves to exist and not Krypton. And he makes the choice to choose humanity. And Mm -hmm. how that plays out then is the consequences of the next film. And I would be, you know, obviously in, in throughout Justice League and Obviously, you know, Zach even said in that interview with uh, The Hollywood Reporter, this was meant to be a five-part arc with Superman kind of as the main character where the whole goal was that by the time this was done, Superman was the paragon of virtue and the icon that we all knew. This was meant to be his journey. And so, to me... This is an incredible first step, and it's an incredible way to challenge the character and to give him a place to go, to give him a place to grow, to give him a place to learn and to move forward. You know, that's the one thing I always hated about the the 78 movie is that there was no chance to, to go on the journey with Clark to why he chooses to do this. He goes to space school for 12 years, and then he's done. He comes out like ready-made Superman here. This is all about him and and us being to ex, being able to experience it with him and and to me that's special. I the one thing I'll say because I I, I feel obligated to defend the seventy eight one. The seventy eight one is just examining the the question from a different perspective. That is it possible that there is somebody who could be raised so good that absolute power would not corrupt him, and so it's it's very much. You know, our examination of the hope that there that people can be at a place where Mm -hmm. they can be truly good, regardless of how much power they're given, because just like Star Wars, it's coming out in the aftermath of Watergate and the disillusionment of the Vietnam War and Studio 54 is, you know, just debauchery on steroids sort of thing. And so it's it's a hearkening back to that wholesome. There can be people who are just good out there. There's no, you know, there's no gray area. And so I I think then 
the reason I speak to that is because that is, has always been regarded as Superman's character on screen. Going on that journey with him is new and jarring and unexpected. So I do understand why on an emotional level people would react like that. Because they're used to seeing him have his struggles in his childhood, sure. and then it's all worked out by the time he's an adult, sort sure. of thing. Well, and and I think you know, I think we said this possibly in the episode we did about Superman together back in the day, possibly Six Hundred Two Club. But you know, this is this is really a movie about Superman confronting modern realities, postmodern realities, um, and challenging our preconceptions about ourselves. because we don't live in a world where people would immediately cheer this dude. We would Mm -hmm. absolutely be skeptical and worried and, you there this isn't superman 78 in a world where people would be excited this dude existed right so in in many ways i think the problem that many people came through from this movie we talked about this earlier but i think the biggest issue was is we don't like what this movie says about us more than what it says about superman because clark throughout the entire movie get this and i i'm so I'm going to get real on my soapbox right now. I get Uh so pissed about people talking about how Clark doesn't save anybody in this movie. The whole movie is him saving people from the, from childhood onwards. In fact, it's about him not being able to stop saving people, regardless of what it would do to him, regardless of whether that means he has to move again. You know, Lois Lane realizes this. She says, you know, I he's like maybe I'll just maybe I'll just disappear, and she's like I don't think you can do that because I don't think you can stop saving people. Mm-hmm. And this whole movie, and he's shown it in his character that there is something in him that says, just as his dad instilled in him, you are here for a reason. And Clark has these powers, and he's willing to use them to save other people, and whether they like him or not. And there's such a beauty in that. And again, I think the reflection of this film is more about our us not liking the response that I think Snyder absolutely nails as to how our response would be to a character like this, which would be one of of speculation and um, and cynicism and kind of disdain and fear because we don't trust anybody having this kind of power to actually be good, like you said. And in some ways, that references the 78 movie. And yet, unfortunately, in our society, we're 20 trillion times worse than what it was back in the 70s, if that's a possibility. So it's more a reflection on us, I think, than it is on necessarily the movie itself. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely easier to weaponize our, our baser instincts nowadays. But I, I will also say that, uh, you know, before we give our, our whatever revised ratings or rankings or whatever we want to call it, um, that to speak to the idea of the humor, some of it did jump out at me a little bit better this time. Uh, like when he's walking through in handcuffs with, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with the military and she says, you know, she Lois basically asks him, why are, why are you wearing the handcuffs? And he just sort of smirks. And he's like, yeah, hey, it makes him feel better. 
You know, he's like, like it's it wouldn't this, be much of a uh, surrender if a I surrender. resisted. <laughs> yeah, but he's sitting there and he's like, "Yeah, you're right. I could blast out of here in a in a second, but that's I'm not going to do that uh, sort of thing." So, so uh, uh, I do yeah. have uh, now. Before we get mm-hmm. to the ratings, I do want to say one thing, uh, and I do want to say one thing negative, which I'm okay. sure will shock people. There is one thing I would change about this movie. What is it? And it is right after Clark cries out and he's hugging Lois, we go immediately to the scene that's funny. And we go to the scene where he destroys the the drone and you have the whole thing about, I, I just think he's kind of hot. It's a mm-hmm. great scene. It's perfect for being a stinger. You need to cut that scene out, Zach, remove it, and so that the next scene is when Clark is standing there talking to his mother. Because you need, I think, the next scene to be one where Clark is melancholy. And mm-hmm. yet, at the same time, there's a hope growing into what's going to come next. I think I going immediately to a scene that's more funny is a... Is I I would and if I could talk to Sack, I would ask him why he did that. And because to me, and and this is just me, but it just it it takes away from the moment that Clark has just made that decision. And I think it would work better if it is immediately buttressed by him talking to his mother at his father's grave, which is much more com- uh you know intellectual scene a much more heartfelt scene and then it leads into you know the end of the movie and i think the that other scene is the perfect thing to add is just the end credit stinger yeah i i agree with you i agree with you i i i think that there are still some there there are definitely some things i i've really enjoyed the discussion because i i'm glad that uh, one of the things that's bothered me uh, for a long time, actually. And I, f- I fell into it, too. Is, for some reason, this movie, and of course, we're about to get into the big old lightning rod of lightning rods, uh, Batman v Superman, is, again, like we were saying at the beginning, it gets more acrimonious than it needs to be. And... It's one thing to disagree with somebody's choices. Like you, ju- you just did. I disagree with that, that scene being there too. It's one thing to say, you know, that doesn't work. It would have worked better somewhere else, but I don't hate it. It's, it's a cute scene. It's well written. It's well done, but it just doesn't belong there. You should have made a, a, a difficult cut in that moment or even just transported it, found a different way to have it work in the, in, in the flow of things or even, you know, ha- with Jor-El maybe having it flow a little bit better uh, with the way he tells this, the, you know, basically the way that the prologue is worked into the story overall sort of thing. Although, honestly, I I would be stumped as to where. Uh, I will also say that the, the, the production design and art direction uh, are great. When I mean, Jor-El... This is- can I just say this is like the e Ching of Superman suits now? I mean, this suit is <laughs> incredible. Uh, I w- I will say that um, the the design element that I really really loved was when Jor El 
when the computer as Jor-El is telling the history of Krypton to Superman, that sort of art deco neo-communist sort of yep. thing going on yeah, is so beautifully storybook. Just mm-hmm. I, I've loved it since the first moment I saw it. I was like, this is just absolutely great art direction and just being unafraid to make a, a bold choice. It's, it's really, really an interesting way to tell the story uh, mm-hmm. sort of thing. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I like how you said it. it's kind of like this art deco brutalist style. Yeah. That really fits, you know, the, again, I think that we, we mentioned before in our talk with Snyder, this, this kind of Ayn Randness, you know, um, exceptionalism. And you see that I think here as well. Again, we talked about the idea of groupthink and this kind of like, almost like, um, again, when you have that brutalist type feel, it makes you think of kind of like, you know, communist Russia or, you know, communism anywhere, really. Um, and so I, I think there's a part of that in, in, you know, I mean, this movie also affirms Clark Eason says, you know, I'm a, I'm as American as it gets. I, I grew up in Kansas, right? You know, like mm-hmm. those are the values that, that he has, which is, you know, individuality, um, and yet heart. And so, yeah, I absolutely uh, agree with that. Yeah. I, I, yeah. He embodies an ideal. Yeah. 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 So, uh, okay. We've we've circled it, um, and we we know that I I came from a not the greatest place with this um, you know sort of thing. But but it's been interesting having this discussion because, and this will our part two will be Batman v Superman, and you know we will relay to you guys it, that our our first discussion about Batman v Superman. You're going to want to hear that story. Uh, when when we get to our our next episode, trust me. Um, but where where did you end up? It, has Man of Steel with this viewing gotten better for you? Has it gotten lesser for you? Has it stayed the same? This is a very special film for me. It's a uh... It's an emotional one in many ways. Um, it's a movie I always wanted. And, and what I, what I love is about this film the most is that Zach found a way to combine the story of Superman and his struggle to become who he's meant to be with the the thematic elements that are just so strong here of of you know with you know Moses and Christ mythology things going on and all of that wrapped into a movie that yet has an incredible action and allows Superman to do something to which you know we've never really gotten Superman to do which is to punch things you know um like really punch things and all of those favorite things from the comics came to life in this film for me. And so, for me, this film has always been pure joy. Like, it, it has never not been pure joy. Nobody's ever been able to take that away from me. I've never cared about what anybody else thought, because to me, this is the Superman movie that I always wanted. And Good. Zach gave it to me. And I'll forever be grateful for him. And I know I probably just sound like a crazy person, but... Like, 
I love Man of Steel, and I've watched it like twice in the last two weeks, and mainly just because I just wanted to watch it. Uh, and then for this podcast, you know, sitting down and, and kind of like really kind of trying to watch through it and think through all the things we've been talking about, which reminds me, we didn't actually talk about something that we should talk about after we get to our ratings, John, which is the Snyderness of this movie. Um, I think we've hit the Snyderness. You think we think it? Okay. okay. I, 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 think, I think we really have because, we, you know, we called out the, the fact that the way S- Superman flies is discovered in Gahul, yeah. how we can see the themes uh, playing through the decision to do handheld, okay. um, the scope of the action, that sort of thing. I, I, I definitely think that okay. the entire discussion yeah. is about yeah, the Snyderness of this right. movie. I, so I, for me, I mean, it, it's just it, it's always been and, and it stayed for me every time a five and part of that is because um i continue to find things in the movie to which maybe i hadn't seen before mm-hmm. uh and i was really just uh, again this time you know having read that article with zach about you know him being an adoptive fa- adoptive father just really added a whole nother layer that i had never really thought of before i don't know why i've known he is an adopted father but just hear him talk about that and then his connection with the character like and this is where I said, you know, when we did our Superman 75, people have always said, oh, he doesn't understand Superman. I think Zack might understand Superman better than just about anybody. And mainly because he's coming at it from a position of basically being Jonathan Kent. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I think that's a really cool thing. And so, yeah, this is a this is a five out of five for me. So I I adore this movie and I continue to adore this movie and I don't care what you say I'm going to always adore this movie. So <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that that's drawn a battle line in the sand now. Boy, there's pressure on me here for for my reaction. <laughs> Good lord. Good lord. Well, I I can tell you that I did look up before I rewatched it where I had ranked it on Letterboxd. Um however long ago. I don't think I even attached a viewing with it. I think I just put in the view, like when I first set up my account or something. And I had it at a, a, a two and a half out of five. Um, I had a lot of problems with it. Um, there are, you know, there are different things that I, I think are, you know, that that were regrettable decisions, that sort of thing. Um, I've always been a champion of the score. I think that, this is Hans Zimmer on every cylinder right here. This is yeah, 100%. This score is un score is fire. Believable. <laughs> I can I cannot I cannot even put into words. There are certain tracks where even without the without having any movie playing in front of me, there are tracks that I listen to that give me goosebumps that can move me to tears because there is so much emotive force mm-hmm. in this score. Yeah. That it's it's like it's like John Williams doing Star Wars, where it's like, my God, how did somebody have this in their head? How on earth did somebody create this? It doesn't make sense to me how good this score is. Like it, it literally, I can't process how good this score is or why it doesn't get more awards and recognition through time. Can we just talk about the fact that it doesn't feel anything like John Williams, and yet it feels just as iconic? Yes, that that's absolutely correct. I will say that on this viewing, I did react better to it. Um, 
and I wound, I wound up bumping it up to a four out of five. <laughs> yeah, I'm I, so and the thing is, the thing is, <laughs> I didn't want that to happen because I knew I was going to get that reaction from you. And I was like, and I. But I, it's not. I, it's not even I like I'm not being vindictive. It's totally like I know, just pure joy. But I won't. I won't even tell you who. But I sent a, a, after my my viewing was done. I sent a text message to somebody, and it simply said in all capital letters, "Damn it!" And you know, question mark comes back. I said, "Damn it! <laughs> damn it! Damn it!" I said, "Do you know this is awful?" I actually like this movie. And it it was just one of those things where I had this existential crisis where I wanted to come in. And I think this speaks to that sort of thing where I don't like, I'm still trying to wrap my, my, my head around it, even though we've, we've addressed it here. I didn't want to, I didn't want to let go of my, you know, (laughs) I feel the conflict within you. Let go of your hate. Like I didn't want to let go of the hate, man. Like I wanted to. I need my pain. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, But I mean, there were there were moments where I was legitimately moved to tears. And I don't know if it's because I'm in a different place or if because on this journey of examining Snyder's works, I understand this one a little like it just works a little bit better for me. Yeah. Looking at, OK, a little bit too many of my biases were were inlaid in my first reactions to the film. Um, But like, I I, I, I mean, I, I I got, you know, I got teary when, um, you know, he's mustering up the strength to destroy the the world engine down in India, and there's this beautiful moment, and I'm not the one who pointed it out, but I'd seen this, you know, pointed out before, but there's this, and it's it's a it's a one to two second flash, where at, obviously as tribute, he looks up and he looks like Christopher Reeve for a yeah, second. It is really great, yeah. And it's such a subtle and beautiful tribute um, and acknowledgement of how he's getting there. Um, I think that the the Jonathan Kent scene, and again, you know, just with my kids being a little bit older now, when he when he grabs him and he says, you know, I am your father, like there's a vulnerability there that is tough for any parent, and. Um, so I just I think this is I, I I will even qualify it as saying this is four with an up arrow like uh, Legend of the Guardians, mm. um, just because I just reacted so much better to it this time. Mm. I so I think go. that the beauty of this film for me comes down to you know and and a lot of people I, I remember making light of this. Um, this quote, you know, Jorel says, you know, you will give the people of Earth an ideal to strive towards. You, will, They will race behind you. They will stumble. They will fall. But in time, they will join you in the sun, Cal. In time, you will help them accomplish wonders. And to me, the promise of this film was that each subsequent film would be about that happening. Mm-hmm. And as we move to, you know, next week when we look at BVS, that's the joy of that film is that it's him struggling to work towards that and it's not an easy process and it and and what i love is that zach doesn't make it easy for his hero and yet his hero still has and we saw it in this film as that internal compass to which points him 
to the right thing to do regardless of what other people think or regardless of the cost to himself. And that is Superman. That is mm-hmm. the that is hope. And I never understood why people couldn't see that in this movie. And it's drove you know driven me crazy, but this is this is what makes this movie so special to me and it's what makes you know the ultimate edition of bvs special as well and hopefully we'll make justice league once we see it you know that same thing but it's just so much fun to like see my favorite character get this type of treatment like we're going to finally treat him with the respect that he's due um i think christopher reeve did a good job of that in the first superman movie right they they i think they treat superman with respect Oh yeah, no, they absolutely. This is just do. treating him with respect in a very different way, um, and in a way that, and 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 this is what I always hated too. It's like everybody always loved Batman, right? And you know, Nolan comes in and he gives us the best thing you never seen for Batman up to that point, and nobody had really ever tried to do that with Superman. And you know, I think Snyder succeeds on almost every level here with the the challenge given to him and. To have you be somebody who I know had so much, you know, you you had your own. You're like Kal-El getting to Earth and ha- struggling to breathe with this movie, and but it's finally gotten easier for you. And like to have you really fall for this movie is is so cool to me. And it's been the most fun part of this journey is like getting to do this with a friend that I respect so much, and we've had differences, and you know, to, 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 to have you legitimately, not because you're friends with me, but just because it won you over. And I think that's so neat. And I just wanted to say more than anything, I appreciate that us coming into this, it wasn't about trying to prop up our preconceptions. Mm -hmm. It's really about trying to, um, make sure that those preconceptions deserve to exist in the first place. Mm-hmm. And and we both did that, obviously, when it came to Sucker Punch. Uh, neither of us came from a great place with that. You had never even seen it because of the ratings, and you were like, eh. And I'd seen it, and I was like, eh. You know, so I that's something that, to me, this makes this special because this is what our culture doesn't seem to be able to do anymore. And And so I've never been prouder to be on a podcast and to have a journey with somebody. So, yeah, that got super sappy, but this is this has been great. Like I this has been, you know, my favorite discussion now, not, so far. I'm not making any promises about BVS. And I and I I don't expect there, you know. So, well, I I I that that is definitely one just so everybody knows we're going to be talking about that next time. And if Man of Steel is a fraught conversation for people, <laughs> <laughs> the this had the yeah bvs I, i'll go ahead and spoil the joke now bvs is the one that should have had the subtitle civil war after it <laughs> not, not captain america civil war for fans that is <laughs> oh my i seriously i yeah we'll, we'll get to that we'll get to that um well it's time for rankings yeah. though john so uh, we gotta know, get I, the rankings uh, which i love uh always uh you always forget this part no, it's not that I forget. It's that I go into it. I'm like, I don't know, man. But yeah, all right, fine. I don't even remember what I ranked it last time. 
what what I ranked any of these last time. Um, where was I? Did I did I have yeah three hundred top top of it still? Yeah, I, I think you go you go first. Let me let sure. me sort it out in my yeah brain. yeah. Um, I mean I I don't think anybody's going to be surprised that Man of Steel took the top spot for me. Um, you know it, it's a character which is my absolute favorite. You know, and and this movie just hands down. But uh, so Man of Steel, three hundred Watchmen, uh, and again three hundred Watchmen could probably shift any day, just depending on my mood. Yeah. Uh, and then Sucker Punch and Legends, same thing. They could probably flip flop any day, you know. Um, but I would still put Sucker Punch over Legends. Uh, and then again at a very respectable last place, and, and I, I mean that with all sincerity, is uh, Dawn of the Dead. Yeah, I think Dawn of the Dead, I think we can accept as a given, is always going to occupy that that bottom slot, not because we don't like it, but because of just the virtue of the other things. So I'll try to, I'll try to work from top down as well here. Um, soft spot for 300, but Sucker Punch could take it. It's they're they're going to jockey for position. I think that 300 will always remain in the top spot just because of my my softness for it. I, I just like you said, you know, Man of Steel occupies a special place in your right. heart. I think 300 always will with me as well. And I, I, for I mean, a lot again, of that's reasons. one of those things where it's like totally fair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but Sucker Punch, I just respect on such an artistic level. Like I just really respect it on such an artistic level. And boy, did I have to go through hell to try to just watch a copy of the extended cut. Screw you, Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> um, boy, what a saga that was. Anyway, um, so then we go down and then we're in our four star range. And I'm pretty sure I put Legends of the Guardians before Watchmen last time because it had an up arrow. I think that Man of Steel is going to take spot number three, believe it or not here because it's also four stars with an up arrow and then legends of the guardians watchmen uh and then uh dawn of the dead but the thing is watchmen watchmen i think I, 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 and the thing is it sounds like i don't you know i quote unquote don't like it but like watchmen i think is just going to stay there that director's cut is mm-hmm. going to be a four star i'm pretty confident it's going to stay that because the, the problems i have with it are problems i'm not i know i'm not going to shake sure Legend of the Guardians, I just enjoyed so much, and I would I'm going to share it with my kid, my youngest kid, and everything, and I hope that she's going to dig it too because I th- I think it'd be fun for her to watch. But then, yeah, just Man of Steel just sort of blows my mind how much better I reacted to it this time, and um, cool. yeah, very positive. So there you go, that's my rankings. Well, I I. I think so far, obviously, a banner episode, you know, our longest yet. And, uh, you know, it makes sense. It was uh, a huge conversation, you know, and I'm sure, uh, you know, BVS uh, Ultimate Edition will be the same (laughs) way since, you know, again, it's just a lot to talk through. And mainly because, again, we're we're getting to that point where, you know, Zach has really given us a ton of content to talk about. And so... But, uh, John, you know, if people want to talk about you, uh, talk to you about your newfound love of Man of Steel, where can people find you and congratulate you on coming to the light side? Well, you can find me as Kessel Junkie on your social network of choice, K-E-S-S-E-L-J-U-N-K-I-E, the aforementioned letterbox, Goodreads, those are probably the most fun places. I also hang out on Vero, uh, which is 
honestly, probably the least toxic uh, social networking site I've ever been on. It's kind of amazing. Um, and then you can find me over on the Nerd Party Network, uh, co-hosting House Lights, which looks at the works of different directors, uh, you know, their entire oeuvre, if you will, as the French might say. And then also over there, you can hear me co-hosting Aggressive Negotiations, a Star Wars-focused podcast with uh, with the very happy that I had a better reaction to Man of Steel, Matthew Rushing. I am that I am that Matthew Rushing, and yes, I am very happy. Uh, of course, you could find me here on the network on the main 602 Club show as we're talking about all of the fandoms we love, so please do check that out as well. Uh, of course, you know, subscribe to the 602 Club and you get both shows here. It's for free, folks. And of course, you could find me doing The Orb and Literary Treks. The Orb is about Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and Literary Treks is about the books and the comics of Star Trek. And when I'm not on the Nerd Party talking about Star Wars with John, I'm on Owl Post with Drea Kaufman for, well, about a month or so more as we talk about Harry Potter each and every week, one chapter at a time. But thank you so much for joining us. This is Snyder Cuts. Snyder Cuts.